thoughts that can destroy the life that God intends to build in us. And so, so far we've looked at the, the lie of it's too hard and, and I'm too tired. And this week we're looking at this thought, it's, it's not what I want. And so if you want, you can, even if it's not what you want, you can take out your listening guide if you want. All of us want certain things in life. Just naturally, we have desires. Each person here, you have desires, things that you carry around in your mind, in your heart, things that you would like to uh, come about. <clears throat> Whenever we don't get what we really want in, in life, it creates problems for us at work, at school, in relationships, with opportunities that we face. And so if we're uh, disappointed at not getting what we want, then things start unraveling. And so we're looking at how to respond to that thought of, it's not what I want when it comes up, when you find yourself in an unwanted circumstance in life. Um, I'm sure that everybody here this morning is currently experiencing some unwanted circumstance in your life. Maybe you can bring that to your mind. What is it that you're, what is that circumstance? What is it about your life that you didn't, you know, you didn't ask for, or you don't really want right now? There's something maybe you stepped into, or maybe something someone caused, or you caused, or just trouble erupted, and what is it that, that, you know, in your life that you're facing that you'd say, this is an unwanted circumstance. Um, we're going to watch a brief video clip to just kind of get things rolling this morning. And so this is a, a humorous clip from a, a movie about a guy at work who, who, it's called Office Space, and, and he, he has this unwanted circumstance erupt um, in his life. Hello, Peter. What's happening? Um, I'm going to need you to go ahead and come in tomorrow. So if you could be here around 9, that would be great. Okay? Oh, oh, and I almost forgot. Uh, I'm also going to need you to go ahead and come in on Sunday, too. Okay? We uh, lost some people this week, and uh, we need to sort of play catch-up. Thanks. <laughs> There's a... So that's an example of an unwanted circumstance. It's not, it's not what you want, especially if the boss is like, okay, you know, <laughs> that'd be great. Okay. That's not what we want. If you step into... A role at work and a project gets dumped on you, and they're expecting you now to move that project forward, and you're thinking, I don't, I don't want this. I didn't expect. I didn't ask for that. It's, it's not in my job description. It's not what I want. Sometimes that's how this thought comes up is, it's not in my job description. Or if you're a parent, and, and you were just figuring out, and you just got your hands around the stage of parenting that you were in, and now all of a sudden your kids are older, and now you're in a new stage, and you're like, I want to go back to this stage. I want to stick with that last stage. It's, it's not what I want, this new stage. This comes up in different arenas. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's the health of someone close to you or finances. Maybe you're just not where your, your financial plans aren't where you'd like them to be or, or in ministry. Maybe you're in, involved in church and in our church in small groups and you start hearing about needs in people's lives. Things are coming up and people hit hardship or seasons of joy or there's there's just needs that come up naturally and you hear about the legitimate needs and you're but they don't fit in with your schedule and it's just again it's just I have my wants and then other things come up and we you know sometimes they 
don't always line up. So we encounter this thought whenever we face unwanted circumstances, and it, it causes this damaging ripple effect, as we're going to look at this morning. We're going to dig into the Bible and learn how to respond to unwanted circumstances. We want to walk through the story that we find in Judges, chapter 4 and 5. Judges is the seventh book of the Bible, and so if you brought a Bible, you can just start from the beginning and count seven books forward, and that's the book of Judges. And I want to give you some background on the story of the judges and what what occurs in this story is this cycle and you see this diagram again i showed this a few weeks back when we read a different story but at the top you see it says the israelites did evil and what would happen in the in the cycle is they would turn their hearts away from god they would rebel against god and then from there god's anger would burn against them and he would allow them to be oppressed or enslaved or tormented by some foreign enemy army and so this is, you know, the typical pattern. Then after a season of oppression, they would cry out to God for help. God, help us. God would send them a deliverer, a judge. And then God would deliver them through a person and, and peace would follow. There would be this season of peace. Sometimes the peace would last for 20 years, 40 years. But eventually the cycle would continue where they would rebel against God. They would do evil again. And then the cycle would just go on and on. This happened for a period of a few hundred years after Uh, the death of Joshua. And so you have this cycle to where, once again, the Israelites are in rebellion. They're in this continual tailspin. They they keep diving into idolatry, which is they would worship other gods. And so this was an insult to God. And because of that, God allowed them to be enslaved to the Canaanite king named Jabin. And this is about 200 years after the Egyptian slavery. Remember, they were enslaved to Pharaoh and God delivered them through Moses. 200 years after that, and dealing with all the Egyptian slavery, they didn't want to be enslaved again. And so uh, King Jabin, he's this tyrant, and he has been brutally oppressing this group for 20 years. So for 20 years, God allowed, really as a punishment for their own rebellion, God allowed this king, the Canaanite king, to oppress them. And it was a severe oppression. The Canaanites had a superior military force. They had 900 iron chariots we read about. And that would be um, like equivalent to like, you know, tanks, you know, planes (laughs) with weapons, you know, just, you know. So we'll get to that in a minute. But and all that was led by a wicked military commander named Sisera. And Sisera was brutal, man. So. We're going to learn about what happens to him in this story. Eventually, after 20 years of this oppression, they finally decide, the Israelites decide enough is enough. We can't handle any more of this. They turn back to God for help, and it's the same cycle. They turn to God. God raises up a deliverer, a judge. He raises up, in this case, a courageous woman. Her name is Deborah. And she was raised up to lead the Israelites back to obedience. And so Deborah, she's this judge, Jewish judge, and she was also a prophetess. And so God gave her a plan on how he was going to deliver his people from this tight clutch of King Jabin and his military leader, Sisera. And so what she does is she turns to this general, a guy named Barak, and Barak is this Jewish general, and she says, God is going to use you to get us out from under the Canaanites. And we're going to defeat, God has promised that we're going to defeat the Canaanite armies. And so let's pick it up in Judges chapter 4, verse 6. It says this. So Deborah sent, or she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kedesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you ten thousand men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. 
I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. So Deborah, she starts unfolding the plan. She tells Barak, this is the plan. It may not sound like a big deal, but Israel at this point, up to this point, we're reading it. We're like, okay, sounds fair. Like God's going to you know, use his, uh, these 10,000 men. But the problem is, at this point, 20 years of oppression, Israel had no experienced warriors or fighting men among them. Um, Barak was a trained uh, general, so he had some training, but he really didn't have ready troops who had experience, or there was no established Israelite army. And so his job was to form an army of 10,000 men and go right into battle. So imagine, you know, you're thinking, this is not good odds. We're going against um, a far superior army who has iron chariots, experience, training, and we've got 10,000 inexperienced men. We're we're going to get worked. And so Barak, he's thinking about the scenario. And so for any general, this is not ideal, certainly for him. The thought, the lie of it's not what I want, that's when this starts creeping in. Um, if it were us, we would think the same thing. This is not what I want. This is not ideal. Uh, but God, he promised victory. Deborah said, God has said they're going to be given into our hands. So now watch how Barak responds in verse 8. Judges 4, 8. Barak said to her, if you go with me, he tells Deborah, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Now, very well, Deborah said, I will go with you. But because of the way you're going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, where he summoned Zebulun and Naphtali. Ten thousand men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. Now, Deborah says, look, because of the way you're going about this, the honor would have been yours, but it's not going to be yours. It's going to be given to a woman. Deborah's not talking about herself. She's not saying, I'm going to get the honor, although Barak most likely would have thought she's saying she's going to get the, clo- the credit, okay? And he's comfortable with this. And, but there you have it. Barak's name in Hebrew means lightning, okay? He was <clears throat> not acting like lightning at this point. You know, you're thinking like, you name people with strong names for a reason. Uh, he didn't want to fail. He was facing these odds, and he, he actually shrunk back. He was reluctant at this point, and so he asked Deborah to go with him. And he, he, maybe it was for reassurance, or maybe he wanted her to provide direction. We don't exactly know the reasons. All we know is that Mr. Lightning wasn't going to strike without Deborah beside him. And uh, it's, it's just kind of comical, the people that God uses and the names that he gives them in this, in this story. Barak, he decides, though, to say, look, if you go, I will go. Now, some of this, uh, in the middle of the circumstances, what he's doing is he's drawing a line. He's basically saying, I will not move forward, Deborah, unless you come. Now, remember, he's a commander. But this is a common pattern we face with this enemy thought. And this is not in your listening guide, but it's up here. We draw boundaries on what... We will do and what we will not do. We start drawing boundaries. These are my limits. This is what I want to do. This is outside the boundary of what I want to do. And then we can delay progress if things are not going the way that we would want them to go. So when we're faced with it's not fair, you know, we can shrink back in the same way that Barak, this man, is shrinking back from his responsibility. Look, at, look again in verse 9. It says, Very well, Deborah said, I will go with you, but because of the way you're going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So here we see a few things. Um, Unwanted circumstances, they tempt us to shrink back. Whenever we're in a a spot where we're 
we don't, you know, we would, we don't want to be in it because we want something different. We're tempted to just shrink back on our responsibility. We're tempted to shrink back on our forward progress. And what that does is it results in a few things. We see it in the story here. First, it results in a loss of honor. Anytime we shrink back because we don't, we're in a position we don't really want, we lose honor. Now, honor is important to us. Honor and respect is important. It's especially important to men to receive honor and respect. And honor here is defined as rising to the present challenge and not depending on another person to do what only you can do. So there's situations where all of us, we have things that only we can do. It's our responsibility. It's our action step to take. And if we fail to rise to that challenge and move forward and and act with courage, and we shrink back, we lose honor. Basically, the path of fear and the path of going the easy way, it doesn't lead to a life of honor. This is, you know, Barak, he's, he's told by Deborah, the honor will not be yours. And then second, because of this, shrinking back also causes a loss of self-respect. Honor is really often given to us from other people when people praise us or honor us, compliment us. Second thing he says is, you know, or we learn is that you lose self-respect when you shrink back. See, Barak, he didn't immediately and willingly rise to the challenge ahead. He didn't say, okay, this is what God said. He said he'd give it into our hands. I'll go. I'll do it. I'll lead. Instead, you know, he, what he was doing was he was the general, but he was putting Deborah in his place to lead. He'd been trained for moments like these. He was a general, but in this moment, he, he, his strength wavered. He failed to act. And I wonder how many times he looked back at this moment and thought, man, if I could only get that back because of the, the personal loss of self-respect that comes after we choose to shrink back with our responsibility or courage. We regret those things. I know whenever I waste an opportunity or I choose an easy way and I, and I experience a loss of some sort, you know, maybe I've lost a training opportunity or I've lost an opportunity to trust God, I can look back and think, man, I, I missed it. I missed the opportunity. There's regret because there's a loss of self-respect. The third thing, though, is, is this. We put others at risk. Anytime we shrink back, with something we know we need to do, we put other people at risk. We put other people in harm's way. Barak not only put Deborah in the heart of the battle, <laughs> you go with me. If you go, I'll go. <laughs> but he put all the weight of the decision on her as well. Because he said, if you don't go, I'm not going to go. So essentially what he was saying is, Deborah, you choose whether or not we go to fight. Again, he shrunk back. He put... What was his opportunity now had become somehow Deborah's burden. And she had to decide what to do. And many times we dig our heels in and we don't do what we're supposed to do because it doesn't fit into what we want in life. So we dig our heels in and we decide, I'm not going to go forward. And what it does is it actually now becomes a burden for other people, the people around us. Sometimes it's our family, close friends, coworkers. If we dig our heels in and don't do what we need to do, other people have to pick up the pieces for us. And, but despite his response, God is gracious here. All was not lost in the story. Let's wrap up the story. What happens is Barak and Deborah, they rally the 10,000, uh, the troops. They rally the troops. God works behind the scenes. And we, we read about in the next story, in a song, we read that God sent this terrible rainstorm that really hindered greatly Sisera's ability to use his iron chariots. His 900 iron chariots were immobilized because God stirred up this rainstorm. And 
Sisera was depending on these chariots. Now imagine 10,000 inexperienced men against, you know, a larger army with iron chariots. It really would be like us going into war with, like, um, you know, pistols and, and the enemy having, like, helicopters with just huge bombs and fighter pilots and jets and things from the air and, and distance weapons. I, see, I don't know any military terms, really. But just far superior. Well, one of the things that Cicero didn't count on was he didn't factor in that God could step in at any moment. And so what happened was the Israelite army, they did their part. Their part was just to obey and fight. And they did. When Deborah and Barak gathered these men, they rose up from among all the tribes and they went to fight. Despite a, a, a weak leader who was timid, all these different people responded. And God saw that and then God did his part. In this case, God changed the weather patterns that immobilized the chariots. And so God granted easily the victory to Deborah and to Barak and the entire Israelite army. Look at verse 16. It says, All the troops of Sisera fell by the sword. Not a man was left. They just wiped them out. And Sisera, now it's not over until the commander is, is dead. And so Sisera, he flees on foot and he heads to a clan that it was a friendly clan of the Canaanites. A, a friendly clan. That sounds weird. A friendly clan of the Canaanites. So he flees to this the, this group called the Kenites. And there was friendly relations there, and so he went there to hide. And because there was a friendly alliance, he figured, I'll be okay, I can hide here, they won't hurt me. But look at what happens. This is chapter 4, verse 18 through 22. It gets a little bit bloody, just so you know. Jael went out to meet. Now, Jael, she is the wife of, of Heber the Kenite, who was really the man that had a friendly alliance with the king of Canaan. <clears throat> Jael went out to meet Sisera. Jael is the wife of this man. Jael went out to meet Sisera, the commander, and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she put covering over him. She hid him. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. So she opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Standing in the doorway of the tent, he told her, If someone comes by and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. Now pause there for a second with the slide. Up to this point, you know, Sisera, he thought he's got a great plan. He's hiding. He's probably nice and warm. He's tired. Scripture says he's exhausted. And so he asks to be covered up. He asks for a warm cup of milk. And she provides a warm cup of milk, a skin of milk to him. And then it says this in verse 21, But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted, she drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Brutal. <clears throat> Some of these stories are pretty, like, brutal. You know, this is... Then verse 22, Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera. Is he here? Oh, and Jael went out to meet him. She sees... Barak, the commander, come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. So again, like, this would have been probably Barak's job to do this. Someone else did it for him. Here's a picture depicting the scene. This is a 300-year-old picture hanging in a museum in Venice depicting the scene. Here's what Barak finds. Something like this. Sisera dead. She's about to do him in. It's not bloody yet. In a moment it will be. 
The honor, though, goes to jail, this, this wife. She gets the honor. She gets, in the, in the next chapter, we're going to read about it. Barak, he doesn't get the honor for defeating Sisera. She does. What follows chapter 4 is a, is a song, a victory song in, in the fifth chapter of Judges. It's a victory song. Many times in the Old Testament, you get the real flavor of the events as they happen through the songs and through the poetry. As you read through it, you read, you kind of get another side of what's going on. And so Deborah and Barak, they're singing a song about what God had done and what they had just witnessed God do. It's, it's kind of like this patriotic thing, praising the people of Israel. But it's kind of like on 4th of July, you know, here in Riverside, they shoot the fireworks off Mount Rubidoux, and then I think it's cola. You can turn your station to cola, and, and everyone blasts cola and goes outside and sings songs like God Bless America and, you know, whatever else there is to sing on 4th of July. And, you know, we sing our patriotic songs. This is kind of like their version of that, except God is honored in this song. And then the courageous people are honored as well. This is a song about honor. This is something that, that we want. We want to be honored by others. We want people to recognize the contribution that our life is making. This, is a, this has high value in most of our hearts. And here's some of the highlights of the song. Verse, verse 2. Well, verse 1 says, On that day Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. Here's what it says. When the princes, I'm not going to sing it to you, but when the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves. You see, that's the key to honor. When we, when we willingly offer ourselves. In unwanted circumstances, whenever you and I willingly offer ourselves to do something, whenever we don't want to do something but willingly trust God, that is what brings honor. Whether that's at school, at work, in relationship, with an opportunity, with a step of obedience, I don't want to do it, but God, I willingly offer myself to you, trusting you. That's what brings real honor, is what we learn from this. He says, when the princes in Israel take the lead, you know, people rose up to obey and to fight. If you skip ahead, verse 14 and 15 starts naming some of the tribes. Verse 14, some came from Ephraim, whose roots were in Amalek. Benjamin was with the people who followed you. From Machir, captains came down. From Zebulun, those who bear a commander's staff. The princes of Isaac. Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, rushing after him into the valley. In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. This is just a song of honor and praise of courageous men who stepped forward to fight. And they were inexperienced. They were outnumbered, and they were out-weaponed. You know, they, they didn't have the means to, to fight this battle without God stepping in. Verse 18 says this, The people of Zebulun risked their very lives. Again, willingly offering themselves, so did Naphtali on the heights of the field. Ultimately, those who risked, willingly risked their lives and sacrificed were praised. They were honored for not shrinking back like Barak. I can identify with Barak, maybe you can too, to where trouble erupts, something in your life is going on, it happens all the time, and you shrink back, and then you have to deal with the situation. So, other people picking up the pieces for the... For our choices. Whenever we don't do what you know you should do, ultimately it's a lose, lose, lose. If you shrink back and don't do what what you know you should do, you lose honor, you lose self-respect, and other people lose as well. They're, you leave people unprotected. So there's some things that we learn from this story. When facing something I don't want to deal with first, follow the leader. 
really, if you're a Christ follower, he's your leader. If you follow Christ, you follow a leader who has shown us how to respond to unwanted circumstances and unwanted duties. In Luke 22, Jesus, he's in agony. He's in the garden just hours before his arrest. He knows that the cross is near. It was his assignment to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And how did Jesus respond to the ultimate unwanted circumstance? He surrenders to God's will above his own. We read this prayer, Luke 22:42. Father, Jesus prays, if you are willing, take this cup from me, the cup of suffering. Yet, yet not my will, but yours be done. This is not what I want, but your will be done. So first thing is we follow Jesus' example. We surrender to God's will. We surrender to his will. He reveals his will to us in the scripture primarily. He speaks to us through the scripture. So as God shows us things through the Bible, whether it's through our time with him personally or time when we gather together or in a small group, when God shows you something and you're like, man, this is, I can't ignore this. I think God's really speaking to me about doing something here. Follow the leader. Submit to his will. Willingly offer yourself to God's ways, to his word. Surrender to those things. Second, hold up the shield of faith. Anytime we surrender to the will of the Father, anytime we surrender to God's will, what it does oftentimes is it means that we leave ourselves exposed because we're giving up control and we wonder, is this the right strategy? If I follow God, is this the right strategy? We're somewhat exposed. We're we're trusting God. The armor for the battle against these lies is Ephesians 6. It's, it's the kind of armor that you use in hand-to-hand combat, combat. Ephesians 6.14, the shield of faith. Paul writes, in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We hold up the shield whenever we state, God is in control. He's not going to rip me off. I'm surrendering to his will. I'm willingly offering myself to God's will here, and I'm trusting him by faith that he's not going to rip me off. He'll come through. We face all kinds of circumstances where we have to lay down our old strategies and do things God's way to follow our leader. And when we do, God comes through time and time time again. Hold up the shield. And then third, take wise and decisive action. That's the opposite of shrinking back as we keep taking action. The lie, that, the, the lie of it's not what I want, it, it defeats us at the point that we refuse to do what we know is right. Whenever we know this is the right thing here, this is the right choice God is asking me to do, the point we refuse to do that, that's the point of defeat. If you, don't do what, if you don't know what to do or if you don't know what is wise, then ask someone who's more mature, what is the wise thing? What is the right thing to do here? If you consistently do what's right in the face of unwanted circumstances and trouble, you gain honor. Proverbs 21.21 21 kind of restates this truth. He who pursues righteousness, right living, whoever pursues right living, and love finds life, finds prosperity, finds honor. Those are things that we want. If you pursue righteousness in spite of unwanted circumstances, they may not sing songs for you. Like in Judges chapter 5 where people are singing songs about their praise. They may not sing songs for, for you or for me. But what will happen is if you'll do what is right before the Lord, your kids will grow to respect you. And they'll grow to respect and honor you. Your friends will, will gain a deep admiration as they see you choosing what is right before the Lord, at least the good friends will deeply admire you. The wrong friends may not care, but the right friends will really admire you for taking steps of righteous action. Your boss, your coworkers, they'll appreciate that you're on their team. Your friends, they'll, they'll just appreciate there's a trust and a respect that grows over time as we pursue righteous 
steps of action. But it's, it's the key on this, in this passage is it's those who willingly offer themselves to do what's right before God. Those are the ones that gain honor. I'd like to invite the worship team to come up and I'd like to also ask the ushers to go ahead and prepare to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. And I want to wrap up this message by asking you to think through your next steps. Think about how, how to respond to this morning's message. What is it? There's a really there's two steps that we're suggesting you consider taking. One is memorizing Luke 22:42, the verse that Jesus prayed in the garden when he said, "Take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done." That's one step is memorizing that verse. Or if you just have a thought like there's there's something that you're tempted to you're you're in an unwanted circumstance in your life right now, you don't want to be there, and you're being tempted to shrink back rather than to take wise, decisive action. Maybe you might want to jot that down. Just what is your action step? What is it that God wants you to do or keep doing in your life right now? Let's go ahead and respond to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this time of being able to look at your word and just read a story that was that occurred thousands of years ago, but the truth, the scenario, the lessons, God is still so rich right where we live where we, where we face unwanted circumstances nearly every day and God we have choices to make whether or not we're going to continue to move forward with you trusting you taking steps of obedience righteous steps or whether we're going to loosen our grip and shrink back Lord we see the consequences are great honor respect protection for others Lord we would want be men and women who are who are doing honorable righteous actions who put our trust in you and recognize daily that our life is in your hands Lord we're just looking to you for getting us through each day and in the areas where we feel vulnerable because we're trusting you Lord we just we willingly continue to offer ourselves to you and just say, God, use me, help me to obey you, strengthen me to obey you today in this specific area. Would you get all the honor and the credit, Lord? Lord, we love you and we thank you for your son Jesus, the example that he is to us as our leader. God, I pray you strengthen us morning for those that are facing some really really difficult circumstances i pray you strengthen them that they would feel a supernatural amount of energy and strength rising up in them as they continue to trust you despite these feelings these thoughts that come and can overwhelm us lord and as we give back to you i just pray you'd bless it multiply it lord use it to help us further your kingdom work here in the city and as we support others god who are far from here lord we just pray that you Help us to grow in generosity as a congregation. Thank you for the resources you've entrusted to us. Help us to be faithful with them. In Jesus' name.